Hey everybody, this is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here at Trinity, and I want to share a COVID-related update with a couple of announcements. Number one, it's really important for us to celebrate the fact that our church here on the west side is alive and well. I was recently having a conversation with Ben Parks, our communications director, and he reminded me or maybe informed me that we're averaging roughly 800 URL hits uh, per service uh, here on the west side every Sunday. And we know that's more than 800 people. More than 800 of you are watching our services. Sometimes groups of friends or family gather. In addition to that, we're having a fantastic time out in our parking lot on Sunday mornings. Over 225 people are gathering to sing and worship and receive communion. And I would just say, if you haven't joined us for one of those things, we would love to have you. But maybe one of the most encouraging things that's happening right now at Trinity is that outside Sunday, we are having more participation than we maybe ever have in the history of our church. Um, we have 500 plus people registered and participating in neighborhood groups spread all over the city. Uh, that number's up from what it was even a couple of months ago. But in addition to that, during this Lenten season, 270 plus people are registered and participating in our Exodus Lenten study that Ashley's leading. Y'all, that's 800 or so people in our church who are engaged in micro community and we've said it we got to learn how to be the church scattered during this strange COVID season and y'all we're doing that but I've got two announcements that I want to share that I am actually really excited about and I want to share just a little bit of rationale behind one of them so beginning on March 21st we're going to move to two outside morning services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You'll need to register for those services. They'll continue as they have, but we're gonna double our capacity. I've heard a lot of talk and even questions from many of you about why are we not moving inside? And I wanna say two things about that. Number one, in collaboration with our doctors, we have determined that we need the community positivity rate to be at 5% or lower in order to feel great about moving inside. Currently, I think that number's sitting somewhere around 7.5% in the state of Georgia. But y'all, the good news is that a month ago or two months ago, it was closer to 20% positivity rate. COVID cases are going down, vaccinations are going up, and our church is alive and well. And there's going to come a day where we're going to be inside that sanctuary. But right now, the ratios in there, if we were to have 25% capacity, which is kind of a best estimate of what feels safe, it'd be about 100 people in there versus 300 or so out in our parking lot. And so we're actually not just paying attention when we think about inside versus outside to uh, safety measures. Those matter to us, but we're also thinking about economies of scale. If we go to two services soon, that's 600 of you that are going to be able to worship in that parking lot versus two services inside would be roughly 200 of you. But here's the best news, at least probably for many of you. Also beginning on the 21st of March, the same day we go to two services, we're going to be engaging in a limited beginning of our Trinity Kids ministry inside the building. So while we worship outside, our kids are going to be able to be taken care of in groups of 10 or fewer with volunteers, mass, socially distanced, similar to what's going to happen in schools. And we're going to be able to offer a beginning of opening up Trinity Kids Ministry. So if you're a parent and you haven't been with us because you don't want to wrangle your kids in those circles in our parking lot, great news is that we're going to be able to take care of your kids sooner rather than later. Now it's going to start small and scale up as we find the volunteers. And that's where the ask comes in. If you 
are an existing volunteer that was with us maybe before the pandemic and you haven't been doing anything because we haven't been doing anything with kids, we want you to consider re-engaging to help us take care of the babies again and the kids again. If you haven't been a volunteer but want to serve your church, this is an opportunity for you to step up in that respect. Millie, our kids pastor, is already reaching out to people, but we would encourage you to go to our website and to begin to participate and put your name in the hat to help us do kids ministry. Y'all, really good things are happening in the life of our church, and we're going to continue to follow that trend of good things as God is opening things up. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read a famous passage from the Bible today. This is Moses and the burning bush. This will be familiar to many of us, and I'm really excited to read and to share this with you today. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites." The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's jump in. Father, we ask for your grace now to think deep and true thoughts about the Bible. Lord, we pray that we would see Moses and celebrate this story, but we also, God, ask you through the the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us see our own story in the story of Moses and the Israelites. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all, I think I probably resonate with this in some profound way and I over the last number of days have just been sitting with Moses I think that the story of the the story of Exodus the Israelites exiting Egyptian bondage is maybe the best way for us to spend our time and energy during this Lenten season and so I'm glad to sit with you today to think about these words I think the first thing that we're invited to see in this passage is this there is trouble when we take matters into our own hands And actually, we don't see that in the text itself. In order to see what's going on here and where Moses had taken matters into his own hands, we have to back up a little bit. In chapter 2, 
Moses as a young man. And you'll remember he's a, a Jew raised in Pharaoh's household. So raised by Egyptians as a Jew. He's a person with remarkable privilege, but his people were oppressed people. And we're told in the early part of the story that Moses, with some sense that he was probably meant to do something important, he sees an Egyptian man beating a Hebrew slave and he kills the Egyptian man and buries his body in the sand. He doesn't think he's been discovered. But then the next day, he sees two Jews arguing and he tries to break them up. So Moses, what we see in Exodus 2 is that Moses had begun to think, I think I'm some sort of deliverer. I need to use this power for something good, for God's people, for, for my people. But when he tried to break up the fight between those two Jews, one of them looked at him and said, are you going to kill one of us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And this sends Moses into a panic. See, he'd taken matters into his own hands and now he's sitting with some real trouble. And we're told that in his panic, he flees to Midian. And Midian is shorthand for the back end of nowhere redneck Israel. It was somewhere far away from where he was. He moves away from the city center. He moves away from Pharaoh's watching eye because now he worries that he's a hunted man. And Moses is a hunted man because he had taken matters into his own hands. See, he did what a lot of us do. He saw that God had a plan, but rather than wait for God's plan, he decided to be proactive or anxiously proactive, and he actually makes things worse, not better. So as chapter 2 ends in Exodus, Moses is in Midian. He met a woman and fell in love there. He has kids there. He's working for his father-in-law, Jethro, and he's essentially just minding the flock. He's not a deliverer at this point. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd in a, in a, in a rural place, in a lonely place, and he feels disqualified. And as I think about Moses and I think about the times in my life where in an effort to try to do something good, I did too much, I can identify with Moses. Maybe you can too. Maybe right now you feel disqualified. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've just messed things up and I don't know how to move forward from here. Maybe you feel like you're in your own self-imposed Midian, isolated. But it was in that isolated place that we see the second movement in this passage. Moses, while minding his own business, while tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, Moses encounters a burning bush. And I would argue that the second thing we need to see here is that burning bush moments like the one Moses encounters here are really places where God enters into our space, our temporal space. So what happens? Moses sees a burning bush and he stops. He stops to find out what's happening. And the, the language in your text, right? You don't even have to get into the Hebrew language. The, the plain reading of English is that, that Moses had to turn aside and see a burning bush, which presumes that he could have walked right past it if he were not paying attention. And then it says, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, the Lord spoke to Moses. And I've been thinking about this relative to these burning bush moments. How, how easy would it have been for Moses to walk right past it? I mean, the language is very clear. It was off to the side, and God did not speak to him until he saw that he had turned aside. Many of us live our lives distracted. We're hurried and we're worried, and maybe when we're sad or we feel disqualified because maybe you've taken matters into your own hands at some point in the past, maybe you're more distracted, more able to walk past a burning bush. 
And I find it fascinating that God did not put the burning bush right smack dab in the middle of the road. He didn't make it impossible for Moses to miss. And I think about my own life and I think about the times where the Lord would want to bring a burning bush to me. That encounter where God enters our space. And I think how often might I have missed those burning bush moments through my own distraction or my own discouragement or my own sin. Well, Moses notices See, God's come close to Moses and God's trying to do something for Moses and maybe God's trying to do the same thing for you right now. And the third point is that in the burning bush, God is both near to Moses and yet distinct from him at the same time. He's near, proximate. The burning bush is right in Moses' space and yet the burning bush is other. It's very different from Moses. And I think this is the way God is with us. And this is the thing I think about burning bush moments. God demonstrates to us in a moment like this that he is with me, but he is other than me. And my mind here goes to the burning tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. This idea that God came to a bunch of beleaguered, discouraged disciples in an upper room and he put them back in the game. He re-engaged them much the same way Moses is being re-engaged by God now. And he did it with fire then. There's something about these tongues of fire in this burning bush moment that reminds us that God wants to move into our space but y'all there's something really important for us I think actually something that has um, a remarkable potential to impact the way we relate to one another I believe that God in this moment is demonstrating that he is differentiated from Moses and by differentiation I mean God is saying I'm connected to you but I am other than you there is space between us but we're near to one another and right now, what God is doing to Moses is he's saying, I'm powerful, but I am proximate. And I believe that one of the things the Lord wants to say to you and me, maybe especially when we're disqualified, is the same thing. The Lord would say, I am powerful, but I am near to you. And it's in those moments of God coming close to us, of reminding us he's not to be trifled with, fire is not to be messed with, and yet it warms us, it, it, it re-engages us, it kindles life in us. The Lord is saying, I want you to be brought back into life. I want you to be re-qualified after feeling disqualified. And I find it fascinating that Moses did not have burning bush moments again and again and again throughout his life. And I hear this sometimes with Christians. We think, if only I could have a burning bush moment every Friday afternoon, I would, I would recover from the week and have a great weekend. And yet Moses didn't have burning bush moments. The disciples didn't have mountaintop moments all the time, but they did occasionally. And I believe one of the things the Lord wants us to hope for is that we would occasionally have moments of real and powerful clarity and encounter with God. And while those won't happen every day, the clarity we gain can sustain us to walk into what comes next. See, I believe that the Lord wanted Moses to hear something. And for us to understand the story, we begin to get a sense of what it is that the Lord wanted Moses to hear. As soon as Moses' attention is turned to God, the Lord tells Moses, I've seen the misery of the Israelites. I've seen the oppression of your Jewish people, and I'm about to do something about it. And that part's not surprising. What he says next is surprising. The Lord looks at Moses, a disqualified man, a discouraged man, an isolated man, and he says, 
You failed before, but I'm going to get you to do it again. You disqualified yourself, and yet now I'm going to invite you to lead an effort that will result in deliverance. And Moses does not believe that he's up for the task. Why? Because he'd already failed at this once. He'd already taken matters into his own hands, and he had, he'd messed it up. And now probably, like many of us who failed, he's thinking, it's too late for me. Maybe God will use somebody else. And it's so interesting to me that when God looks at Moses and says, I have a job for you to do, and Moses looks back at God and says, who am I? The Lord does not give him a pep talk. God doesn't say, you know who you are. You're a great guy. You're a smart guy. You were young and dumb, but now you're going to get it right. The Lord doesn't say that. And many of us live our whole lives with discouragement, thinking what we need most is a pep talk, somebody to build up our confidence, but that's not what happens at all. God looks at Moses in his discouragement, and rather than stroking his ego, he says, Moses, I will be with you. And that leads me to the fourth thing, the last thing that I think we're invited to see in this passage. God promises to be with Moses. And I want to say to you today, if you are facing discouragement of any kind, if you have faltered or failed and feel like maybe the, the world or your job or your ability to make an impact or to really walk with God has passed you by, the Lord would look at you and say, I will be with you. Salheimer um, John Salheimer is a, a Pentateuch scholar that, that I love to read, and he says this, God responds to Moses' insecurity not by building up Moses' confidence in himself, but by the reassurance that he would be with him in carrying out his task. And so God invites Moses to engage the most important struggle of his life. Will he exchange his discouragement for an awareness that God is with him? And I believe that for many of us, that's the most significant struggle in our life. Will I exchange my discouragement and disqualification for a belief that God is with me, even though I've messed up? So this is how the Lord puts Moses back in the game. He says, I'll be with you. And I just want to say to you that if you feel like somehow life has pulled you out of the game, the way the Lord is going to bring you back is to say, I will be with you. And when you're with God, you can move forward and you don't have to hide the shame of your past. You don't have to hide the failures of your past. You just say, God's with me now. And I believe that's what he wants us to see. I have a few questions for you to consider if you're reflecting in groups or journaling by yourself. And we're going to share those here before we pray and, and end this time together. And They'll be on the screen, so you can just hit pause if you want to gain access to them. Here's some thoughts. Number one, reflect on a time when you took matters into your own hands and made a mess of things. What happened? How'd that feel? Be honest. Number two, reflect on the ways that you've experienced God as both near and other. And I would ask furthermore, is one of those more familiar or comfortable for you than the other? See, I grew up raised by hippie parents, and so God being near was very comfortable, but God being other from me or powerful from, for me was something that I had to grow used to or more comfortable with. What, what's your story? And number three, I would say it might be good for us to reflect on what does it mean for us to believe that God is with us in this season of life? 
What does it mean for him to be near to you? Let's pray, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. First, I just want to speak a word of blessing over us. Before I do that, I'll say that if you want to receive communion and you're watching from home, you can feel free to come by our office during the week. We would love to give you communion kits. And also, if this is your church, it's an opportunity to give. You can visit our website. There's a button that says Give to Trinity, and we would just say there's an opportunity to do that. But if you're a guest, please don't give. Everything's taken care of. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for my friends. And I pray, God, that you would open each and every one of us up to burning bush moments. I pray that we would see in our own life that our own failures, similar to Moses, are not dis disqualifications, but rather you're always inviting us to see you and experience you. So we ask you to do that for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray the words of the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.